In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents Donald Trump with a, a stain on our country. I am someone's daughter, too. That's what I'm so help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Sup Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help process, just process, the biggest yeah. topics in international news and politics today. So, um, big news I don't think anything's happening. No, no, nothing at all. Really slow. (laughs) Really slow news day that no one is talking about. Nothing is happening. How are we supposed to even have a discussion today, really? I know. What what in the world would we talk about? Should we do another pop culture roundup? (laughs) (laughs) Like yesterday? (laughs) Well, we could do. We've been like doing more casual check-ins. I feel like we haven't talked to you for a while, Caitlin. Caitlin, I assume you're double vaxxed and living life. How are things with you? Um, I'm good. I am enjoying life right now. I've got, I got my second vaccination more than two weeks ago. So Ooh. I'm fully like all the antibodies are, are jumping. All mm-hmm. So I'm having a, I'm having a good time. I mean, to the degree that I'm like doing anything, but there's definitely <laughs> been a, like a big mental shift where I went from going outside is hard and I don't want to do it to Oh, I'm just going to grab a mask and head out. And that's like, huge. That's uh, that feels big. Also, I started kickboxing again, which is my personal like love and joy. So, that was- oh, good to get the aggression out. Totally. That sounds so fun. Where do you yeah. do it? Uh, I do it at a, a gym in uh, along Flatbush. It's just off of Flatbush, and. Um, it's it's like super great. The other thing that's dangerous about it is that it's across the street from Target. Oh. So it's like right at Atlantic Center. And like, it's so dangerous because I have not had a good reason to go, like, go out. Like you had to like come out with a reason to leave your house yeah. last year. And now I'm like, oh, I'm just going out again. And my brain is like, you should stop into Target. I'm like, I should not stop into Target. Oh, I know. I literally yeah. do that as self-care. Like I might do it this afternoon. <laughs> You're kind of making me feel like I want to do like a little bit of kickboxing. Like I would just love to, I, it's so good because it's distracting with like the, the counts and like you get in a rhythm and it just feels yeah, it's like really such good a for great your way core. To, I, I, like it's so good for your like trimming your waist if that's what you want. It's I true. Mean, it, it is. And I, I actually think about it. I'm such a dork. I think about it kind of like it's like superhero training because it's like a lot of, I love that. And that's like how I kind of keep myself going whenever I'm like, I can't do another burpee, you monster. <laughs> no, genuinely. But I feel like that's just working out now because I always think about in a apocalyptic scenario. I'm like, I need to be able, it is 2021. I need to be able to lift myself up. Shit could happen. Yeah, what's really so important. I I train like I'm ready for the apocalypse, but I allow my nails to grow out. Like, <laughs> the sedentary life. 
<laughs> oh, I know you two. I've been so jealous, Sammy. Your nails look my, so good my too. My nails are my hope, <laughs> and, and my training is my reality. And in the twist in the movie, it's actually your log nails that save you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I end up gouging, gouging out some eyes yeah. <laughs> with the nails, and that's what, that's what protects me. <laughs> I will say this is my first experience with gel extensions and I might keep it going for a little bit. I'm going to try it too. It's fun. Yours Although so it's good. hard to type. So it's just a warning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> these, these grow out, but, and I don't pay attention to them. I'm very lucky. My nails naturally do this, but then there's a lot of distress walking yeah. around with nails that are naturally long. And then you're like, I need to cut these or else I will have a very true story to tell people. <laughs> we were saying at the beginning of this week that this is a this week is National Women's Health Week, and we should. I love Sammy's suggestion that we should all just do all of our doctors and upkeap appointments. <laughs> Today could be like Pap smear and nail day. Yes. <laughs> I mean, a, an acrylic nail appointment is fucking long. Just just warning. So Two long. and a half hours. Like, yeah. Two and a half hours. So today, as we said, we will talk about the news story that I think is front of mind for a lot of people. We started to address it yesterday and said we would look into ways to do a more expansive conversation about it, which we're going to do today. I'm going to read a background of what's been happening recently and the tiniest bit of context from recent years. Obviously, there's so much here. I know it's frustrating to hear there's context and it's complicated. And I want to stress, as I did yesterday, that when I say that, I don't necessarily mean it about the specific um, violence and carnage that we're seeing now. That is not complicated. I'm talking about in the broader context. Um, It gets really reduced. And I think we can all agree on that and that there are a lot of factors um, for everybody experiencing pain from this that need to be considered. So I'll go through the background and I've tried to do this in the most neutral language that I can. So there have been for several weeks protests and tensions over efforts in Israel to evict, remove a number of Palestinian families from the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood in East Jerusalem. This is even though this is the Supreme Court in Israel was planning on Monday to make a decision about this removal. And that decision was put on pause. But I believe there's a lower court decision. There was a motivator for this process to begin. There are other cases involving other families that have also been postponed. Altogether, I read in Reuters that this could impact up to a thousand Palestinians. The evictions we were talking about most recently involved, I believe, 36 families. Rights groups say that the government in Israel can halt or postpone the evictions if it wants to. So who people believe is entitled to this land has changed over the last 200 years and even longer than that. In the late 1800s, it's believed Jewish settlers bought the land, which they were evicted from after the Arab-Israeli War in 1948. And in 1967, Israel obtained Jerusalem in the Six-Day War and basically gave itself permission to take previously owned property back. Um, International law does not recognize that annexation. And as you can imagine, a lot of Palestinians don't either. An effort to remove the Palestinian families that live there has been going through the Israeli courts for a while. But this is seen as a broader effort to deprive Palestinians of an opportunity to maintain roots in the area in Jerusalem specifically. I think Sammy knows a lot about this, but Jerusalem, East Jerusalem specifically, 
it's been difficult to build there for Palestinians. It's really more than just this neighborhood. But in reaction to that, Israel rejects those accusations, its leaders rather, and say that this situation is simply a real estate dispute and that the Palestinians or Hamas has exploited this dispute to allow more violence to happen. These tensions, especially during Ramadan and concentrated in holy areas, they broke into violence with Israeli police retaliating against protesters, throwing rocks and chairs, injuring some officers, and I've read potentially hundreds of protesters. This was all happening at the Al-Aqsa Mosque during Ramadan, so tensions are obviously really high, and these are really provocative things to happen. On Monday, Hamas responded to that with rockets, and Israel returned fire. Um, the militant group and the Israeli army has been trading fire since then. Uh, the Israeli rockets I've read have killed, or overall about 50 people have died. Uh, Palestinians have died so far, and I've read six Israelis, but that number is always changing. Um, there has been a lot of international outrage, as we've all seen, against the international, or excuse me, against the Israeli government and its military. A representative for the U.S. State Department yesterday said that the U.S. is alarmed by the violence and that both Israel and the Palestinians have a right to defend their safety and security. I'll bring you up to most recently, but as of this morning, as I said, Israel said it killed 16 members of the Hamas military wing in an airstrike. And um, we've heard that 53 Palestinians have died along with six Israelis. The death toll in Israel has likely been suppressed by just defense systems that are there that obviously are not in where Palestinian lives and Palestinians live. And Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu made the very helpful statement uh, last night that this is just the beginning. We'll hit them like they've never dreamed possible. Helpful. Yes. Helpful. So the first thing I want to, my first question, which I think directly relates to as I was reading that, I have noticed we're going to talk about what's happening and we're going to talk about mainly how to talk about what's happening. Neither of, I don't think any of us have the correct answer to that, but I think the way you put it, Sammy, and Elise said almost the exact same thing this morning was that like, it's really hard to talk about it because we do get reactions, but it does feel unethical not to, to a certain point. Um, and we see that. So I have noticed a huge, huge issue people are having and what's made this hard to talk about is literally like sentence structure, the placement of the word responded to the placement of the word after who is named first, whether it's Israel or Hamas in what's being talked about. Why do we think people are getting emotional about that aspect? The reason that people get emotional about that aspect is because like this one particular conflict is the same as the conflicts that happened before. And when people say like this happened first or that happened first, you could do that back till like 600 BC that like they're going to each each group is just going to keep being like, well, they did this first. And like you're taking that back thousands of years to literally biblical stories which is the basis for a lot of the reason that people that the people in this region are fighting over the land. Like you could argue that their claim to the land is based in fairy tales if you wanted, because it's literally based on like Abraham's children. Like it's the reason I think people get so hung up on that. And then they, they make this about media bias and media coverage rather than like the issue is because the issue is so intractable because even if you say, okay, this is what each has done wrong in the present day, they're just going to be like, well, what about this thing that happened 
that it was our land first. Like it's, it's literally just a game of like, I was here first, but forever. So that's what makes it so hard to just talk about in the present day, because you can't possibly fill in all of the gaps that led to what is happening now. I mean, whenever describing a conflict uh, as a as a person who loves words, uh, especially when you start getting into like the English language, any language, frankly, um, there are little bits of language that just kind of signal a certain kind of perspective and it's impossible not to have a viewpoint. Um, And I mean, this is probably one of the most incendiary spaces that you can possibly touch. And there are a lot of reasons for that. There are a lot of really good reasons. Um, And we're very used to having, I like to think like, I mean, I think that we're very used to having, especially as Americans, um, a perspective that is like, there are good guys and there are bad guys and there are heroes and there are villains and not having this kind of more complex conversation where like, yeah, I mean, the language is, is going to naturally illuminate certain things and obscure other ones. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to spotlight certain inequities and downplay other ones. And so the question then really becomes like, I, I think that the, the biggest issue is that we're so busy trying to unravel the problem that we have at this point, they're really, people have more or less abandoned solutions um, and abandoned kind of figuring out what a solution would look like and what that means like feasibly. And um, there's a lot of incentive for everyone to be very absolutist, uh, the people involved to be very absolutist in, in what they think a solution would look like. Like I don't see a perspective in which Hamas, which I don't agree with their perspective that Israel shouldn't exist. Like I think that that's like, if that argument is going to be made, that was uh, you're just like right, 70, right. 80 years out of yeah. date here. There's no discussion to be had about this. It does exist. It is real. And we have to figure out how Israel is going to exist as uh, a state um, and make sure that there's representation for uh, all the people who live within it as citizens, which is one of the biggest issues is that there's like a tiered system yeah. of who gets to participate in the discussions about solutions so like that's how like language gets even more complicated because it's like okay what's an israeli citizen who is an israeli citizen who gets to make decisions are palestinians people who have been living and regardless of who's been living on the land for whenever like everyone feels that they have a very good claim then the question is like okay so what are you guys going to do to live together and that's never that that stopped being an answer you know, after for for a long time. And that's a problem. Yeah, we keep saying two state solution, two state solution. But I feel like we don't nobody has made any acts acts on that for as long as I can remember. I feel like that hasn't been like a realistic um, option on the table since like 1996. Like, I just don't think that like, because yes, I do think that was like a very viable could have happened um, at some point. But once I think a few things happened. I think BB started to use this to maintain power and to consolidate an alliance that became increasingly more right-wing. And right-wing means 
the most fervent believers about the claim to the land because it's based in religion, not like secular Zionism or just like national pride. So he, so they're cultivating an alliance of the most extreme right-wing people in Israel who push away from the idea that they could peacefully coexist. Then you have Hamas, which obviously they're starting from the point of like, there should be no Israel. They're a terrorist organization and they aren't really interested in protecting their own people. So the situation has gotten so intractable in that sense. And then you add how the Republican Party in the United States has also capitalized on this conflict and worked essentially to kind of make it worse, like under Obama, that whole invitation with Bibi and like Mm -hmm. all this, like the whole Obama era and the opposition to Bibi, I think did it it completely politicized this issue in the United Hmm. States. It made it impossible to like speak about it with any nuance because then it just became lumped in with like every Republican non-issue that's there. And it's just become impossible to talk about. So I think that the past like 20 years have really like done a number on the chance that there could be a peaceful solution. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So let's talk about now what's missing from the dialogue, which we have been, is that I think people get really emotional about presenting this as like, and then this side did this, and then this side did that because of the power imbalance. Like Palestinians have nobody. I know there are there are portions that support support Hamas, and some of them do so in their view rationally with the way that they've lived their lives. They feel like that's rational, but like they have no government like negotiating on good faith. They don't have anyone who's like going to show up and talk to anyone with Israel and say we want this solution. That's not going. That's not going to happen. They. Love. They probably watched what was happening at Al Aqsa, and they were like, "People, are, this is gonna be great. This justifies yeah. everything we're gonna do." So, like, and to the same end, the Israeli government and politicians obviously do not speak for all Israelis. But, like, I like you said to me, I read that Bibi's um, approval rating is like sixty three percent right now, which is terrifying. Yeah, because the the reaction that happens in Israel, I will say, when something like this. Happens. And in case sub, sub listeners don't know this, you lived yeah. there for about a year. Right? Yeah, I lived there for nine months. And while I was there, I spoke about this in my 
video that I just made, but you know, I sort of, I wasn't there during a real conflict like this one, but there was, there's always things. There's always like little skirmishes happening. Yeah. It's not the same thing as here. Like I think people underestimate the extent to which this culture, this place, the Middle East is just culturally so different than anything that we can understand that to put our lens on it just doesn't work. Mm. But what you, but yes. So BB's approval rating, because what happens whenever there is a threat to Israel, the Israelis unite and their rockets. So let's say like Tel Aviv is where most of the secular Israelis live. And like probably a lot of people living there, like su don't support what the Israeli government's doing. But then when they're having to go in bomb shelters because there's rockets being launched at them, they're like, okay, well, we want to be protected and BB will be hardline enough to protect us. So then it becomes a matter of self-preservation um, rather than like just realizing that Mm -hmm. If there were the right leadership, potentially they could attempt to, to maybe get to a place where, mm -hmm. I don't know. It sounds like yeah. almost fantasy to me that like these two groups could coexist at this point. But yeah, I mean, leaders taking advantage of people feeling insecure and unsafe is like, that's how they, that's their MO. That's the war in Iraq. That's everything. Yeah. And it shouldn't be discounted that um, the far that, that far right elements have been have allied across national lines that a lot of the same mentality that Republicans bring to American politics have, have have been percolating in Israeli politics as well and that there is there are factions within both countries that kind of feel that like their view is the view and that you know there's and when there's ends up being solidarity, it tends to be behind people who are engaged in that kind of viewpoint. So it creates this uh, kind of recurring space where it's like, well, we have to respond with violence. And then it's like, well, if you respond with violence, they're naturally going to respond with violence. Like, yeah, the fact that black people haven't responded with violence inside the United States is totally yes, it's like a, a bizarre anomaly it is not normal. Like it, it's incredible that we still have peaceful protests, that they're largely peaceful protests. People are like, oh man, they destroyed property. I'm over here being like, property? Yeah. Like if we, if you sat down and you did a ledger of like lives taken on both sides, I gotta tell you that ratio would look real bad. And we, it's kind of insane that we haven't perpetrated more violence. That's a completely different discussion, but like to that degree, I do sympathize to some degree with Palestinians who are who like, again, that's what's being what's being asked of them in terms of peace, in terms of agreement, like they're they generally take more damage. And this is goes back really far. Um, but, you know, there's something called a kill ratio where like basically there was an understanding that like Israel's defense required to kill more of their opposition than they took damage. And so that there's about maintaining a certain amount of damage if they were going to participate in violence that forced their opponents to lose. Basically, it's a Pyrrhic victory. They wanna make everything that happens for Palestinians be Pyrrhic in nature. And it's like, well, Palestinians, no one can sustain that. And so that's why you get the lulls is like, the. it's not that people don't wanna commit violence. It's not people aren't angry. It's not that people haven't lost people that matter to them. It's not that civilians and both sides are being, aren't being targeted. It is that 
they literally cannot afford to continue doing this. And I wonder if there's any point at which, I mean, there are too many elements now in the American political cycle that are feeding a certain amount of this, but I think it, it stands to something that regardless, my fundamental belief is that you can't have an ethnic state and democracy exist simultaneously. These two things exist against each other. If you have chosen, like one group is important enough to solidify as the group that will run the state, then by definition, all other people must be sublimated to them, which means, and must be subordinated to them, which means that anybody else can never really be equals, but that's necessary for democracy. So these two things are always in conflict with each other until there's a way for Israel to figure out how they're going to mix being a ethnic state and a democracy it's a it's a huge ask it's a huge ask it's a terrible ask i i it's it's a necessary ask um yeah and all of these things together just create a giant powder keg i mean this also speaks to some of the demographics that that wouldn't even come into our heads in america which is like Mm. the birth rate which is the people who are giving birth in israel are the religious right-wing Jews. So even if Israel were able to keep pace, even if the Israelis were able to keep pace with the birth rate, it would be of the most extreme population. So it's, it's, it it Mm -hmm. is, there are so many factors that, and I mean, there are just, there are just so many endless factors that like go into this situation. But yeah, I mean, you are in Israel and you see like what, Palestinians have to travel through to get to and from the like across the green line. It's like, yeah, like if you're them, you're like, oh, if you're doing that, and you're, yeah, and you're like, watching that all the time, and then you hear yeah. that a family's getting evicted, you are nodding your head as Caitlin was saying. You can't have like an ethnic group dominate all politics of a state in a democracy. But say, I want Sammy you to explain how that is different because it is from saying, um, like, how come it's an inappropriate reaction to that to say, okay, but it's anti-Semitic to say that Jews can't have a homeland. How can Jews have a homeland? I'm doing quotes. Well, also, this is a silly question, but it is something, these are the questions that are coming up, these really extreme questions, but how can we acknowledge that Jews deserve a homeland without that homeland being an ethnostate? Well, I guess my question is like, why can't the Jews and the Palestinians have different homelands where the Palestinians do not have to live as the number two in the Jewish homeland? Like, I think that that is sort of. Isn't the answer because they want the exact same land on which to build a homeland? They mostly want the same land, but like there are certain areas that are more important to one and the other. And like, it's a negotiation. Have the negotiations ever included those types of like good faith? Like we know this is more important to you than it is to us. So like you, or that's not possible. Yes. They have like tried negotiations where Jerusalem is like an international area where like everyone can come. The, The Jerusalem is already divided into quarters. Like you're probably Jews are probably not going to walk into the Arab quarter unless there's a reason like it. I think it is possible. It's just that you have such the people we're talking about believe that this land was like given to them by God and yeah. they're going to die so that they can have it. Like 
So yes, you can have a lot of people who are like, yeah, let's divide it up. And like, you know, let's just, just try to respect each other, which is obviously like the view I come from. But like, then you have these people who are like, this is my land and I will die so that my progeny can have it. And politicians take advantage of that. It's wrong to say that religion is not a factor. Of course, it's a factor on both sides. Politicians take advantage of that, those like intense beliefs and they just take it to whatever direction is beneficial to them. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't really understand how like the Israeli government can look at this and be like, we are doing, (laughs) we're, we're doing great. Like maybe they're doing great at building support in the very temporary sense, but like, how can they look at this, see what goes on in other countries and be like, yeah, we should keep going. Although from Mm -hmm. their perspective, it's like, well, they don't think we should exist. It's in their charter. So we have to defend ourselves. I don't know. This is what I go back and forth on. Like, well, I mean, yeah, it goes exactly. (laughs) It's like, I'll, I'll share something and people will be like, I'll share, you know, like Israel launches rockets and somebody will say, you didn't include the context that Hamas shot the rocket first. I'm like, okay, that's true. But then somebody to that will say, you didn't include the context that there was the evictions on top of what people call apartheid and what you described, like it being a difficult life to live for Palestinians in a lot of places with, with these evictions, like, because of how things have, it's just not possible for Palestinians to build up much of a presence anymore in those areas. So like, I can also see how that frustration would lead to such anger that this happened. So it's like, like you said, it's like, I, we can go back so, so far. And I think that it's just, yeah. you end up at the same place, which is that everybody's very frustrated for good reasons and for reasons they're being manipulated into being activated over. And the evictions, it's like, I, I haven't even been able to find like general consensus on like what actually happened with the eviction mm-hmm. um, right. conflict and like why it came up. Like, and the point is that it's not about the evictions. It's about right. the whole thing. It's about the fact that there can be these evictions. It's about the fact that like that, that this, that a Supreme court eviction has an eviction can even go to the Supreme court and that it can then lead to like, fighting at what these both religions agree is like the most holy place in the world. And like, yeah, it's just, it's a completely, it is just a shit show. That's all. Right. That's the problem is like all the vocabulary we've been applying to this does not work. Like eviction is not quite right. Uh, Clash is not quite right. None of it is quite right. So our last question, thank you so much, Caitlin. (laughs) Like she shows up and this is what we're talking about today. I know. <laughs> we so appreciate you. But how can we have more constructive conversations about this? Because like, I don't like that I feel like I can't because there is no benefit. I don't like that it feels like the most beneficial thing I can do for myself is to be quiet. Otherwise, we're inviting harassment. My RDM, I don't want to make this all about me, but like RDMs are filled with people calling me an anti-Semite and people calling me ugly anti-Semitic words based on... <laughs> based on where they're coming from. And a lot of times I'm like, okay with that. Cause it's like, you feel like you don't have power and you need to dump this somewhere and I will hear it for you. But I don't like when that makes us feel silenced because it's like, it's strange because people are like, don't perform your activism, but please perform your activism. 
Yeah. A lot of this is performative and like just the number of people who have like said things to me, like, I feel like I have to post something. It's like, if you don't know what you're posting, you don't like have a cohesive view, just like don't post it. Like, just don't. Yeah. That's my strong take on this is that, um, most Americans to the degree that we should have a stance on this. It is about ensuring that our government does not contribute to any more of the strife that, that continues to to feed into this. Um, I know that the American government is deeply supportive of the Israeli government, but that also means on the other hand that we do need to have some level of accountability over like how our weapons are used and, what that actually leads to and what the purpose of us continuing to fund that is. And if and from an American interest, it would be better if like we saw some level of resolution between these groups yeah. and not as much conflict. Um, right. But the fundamental reality of it is this is existential. This is an existential conflict for Palestinians. This is an existential conflict for Israel as a state. And these questions are very thorny, again, for the same reason that I, I posited before. Unlike every other, it, there's, there's a lot of good reason why there should be a Jewish state. There's, we've seen that. There's, yes, yes, strongly agree. Um, it's very weird because as a Black person, I feel obviously very sympathetic to Jewish people. And on the other side, I feel very sympathetic to Palestinian people the reality of like live day to day feels like, oh, that's Palestinian people and me. We we see each other that this oppressive state thing, the not being able to stay in your homes, the having toxic things dumped where you live, having people appropriate your land, having people tell you that you don't belong places, having people suppress your cultural traditions. Yes. On the other hand, Jewish people suffered a lot, want to find a space where they can just be safe and around other Jewish people and not have to worry about states turning on them because that is the literal history of what it means to be Jewish. So these two things live in conflict with each other because they cannot possibly both coexist at the same time. It is a Schrodinger's cat situation. (laughs) You can't be both dead and alive at the same time. It's just not possible. It's just going to have to sit in the box and we'll have to figure out some way of making it work at the same time. Should this conflict ever come to a place where there is something that resembles a solution, we will have figured out some magical thing about humanity that we never understood before. Because (laughs) let me tell you, these two things, this whole, you know, as I said, you can't have an ethnic state and a democracy simultaneously. These are fundamentally opposite ideas. Balkanizing also may or may not work, but usually leads to a lot of ethnic cleansing in the meantime, and that's not really a solution either. So how do we do this without having the two groups destroy each other? How do we keep the the state safe for Jewish people going forward for centuries so there is not a situation, there's never again a situation in which people feel unsafe because they feel that they cannot be carry on their traditions, thousands thousands of years of tradition with them because they are going to be targeted by the people they live among. That should never be the case. On the other hand, Palestinians have a right to live. So yeah, that's that's a whole conflict, you guys. We're just now. Yeah, I mean, everything you're saying is just like so on point. Like it's It's a circle, obviously. It's just right. You just come back to the same place and you're like, okay, and Right. Nothing like changed. I I feel <laughs> yeah. 
I think it's not an insignificant security to me that I can go live in Israel if I need to, and I would be a citizen there. I think Palestinians should have that security in a place as well and totally entitled to that. Definitely thought about it during the Trump administration. Like, yeah. like, oh, I guess like this is another option. Not that I was like such a huge fan of the alignment between the Trump administration and Israel, right. but like it is a it's a real thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it is. Right. just. I think it's just the dialogue that we've created is that like in order to justify your own opinion, you have to like destroy the other person's point of view. But that doesn't work here because no. each point of view is completely not always if if you're if you're talking in good faith, each point of view is is equally equally legitimate. So that's where our challenges are. Existential conflicts. Existential yeah. conflicts. <laughs> so now let's discuss something we can all agree on: the absurdity of the Republican Party in this country. So this morning, Republicans, as anticipated, voted to purge Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming from their leadership ranks for her continued support for the idea that Biden won the election. This comes after 100 former Republican officials plan to sign a letter on Thursday, which is tomorrow, declaring that if the Republican Party does not break with former President Trump and change course, they will back the creation of a third party. Now, this effort is headed by Miles Taylor, who wrote that New York Times uh, article in 2018. Did he also write the book Anonymous? Did he come out? That was the anon- that was that anonymous. Was anonymous. Right. Okay, great. Yeah. And other that. signatories include ambassadors, governors, congressional members, and cabinet secretaries, but backers include even more high-profile people that didn't sign this letter, but are part of this effort, including former President George W. Bush. So this group is following up on a February threat, having seen that the party has no interest in breaking from Trump as it moves forward. I'm personally wondering what they thought they would see. Um, Reactions. Is there anything that could have happened since January to really show that the GOP was on a different track? I mean, what were these signatories expecting? No, we watched the battle happen and the battle was swiftly lost by these people. Yeah. Um, it, I think really what it was, was like the, the impeachment was not the second impeachment didn't go through and there was no accountability for the insurrection. So once you're on the side of no accountability for the insurrection, mm-hmm. you have to go out like that's your party now. Totally. This was all lost back in 2016. I know I continue wondering why anybody is here being like, we're going to do some stuff on principle. Like we already had the dozens of former Republicans. Remember that every single one of these people is former flake resigned Corker resigned or left and didn't run for reelection. These are all people who, who decided that they couldn't stay in politics because they did not have the votes for very good reason. There's no reason that any Democrat, I think that, frankly, if you're a liberal, you're a Democrat, you should just sit back, watch, grab some popcorn, whatever. Liz Cheney's a bad person. She doesn't deserve anybody's niceness. She doesn't deserve courage, courage for not supporting treason. That's where we're at now. No, 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 no. The torture Barbie is not the person (laughs) that you back, okay, (laughs) for not supporting treason. Good for her. She has a functioning hippocampus or whatever. Like, good. She's got all the pieces of her brain are properly arranged. Does not believe that the Republican Party should do this. Good, but you know, she. Where was? Where were you when he was extorting the president of Ukraine? No, you were. You were also for that. Oh, so you were just a giant fan of corruption until. Or when he said there were good people on both sides. Where was she then? 
Yeah. Right. I seem to have a problem with neo-Nazis. So this is me <laughs> being over here being like, I don't know who Liz. <laughs> line is an act. The line she drew is a coup for the country that like she was once like the elite of. And I think that's what like motivates her. Mm-hmm. But like at mm-hmm. least she's motivated by something. But also now this is a test for the Republicans and they failed it. Yeah. It failed. Yeah. Caitlin's like, this is over 10, 20 years ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I mean, but think about it. Newt Gingrich has been around for a moment. Contract with America, the the shutting down the government because Bill Clinton didn't let him on the front of Air Force One. That's the real reason that, that sh- government shutdowns happened. It was the longest one in American history at that point. Then you've got Obama. The night of his inauguration, they all met up and the economies are free fall. Their mismanagement of the country is Republican mismanagement. They finally had the presidency, House and Senate all together for the first time. And they held it for six years. And the Democrats got back. Democrats got it back in 2006 with a wave election. And they turn around in 2008 as everything's collapsing and Democrats are racing around trying to figure out what to do to fix things. And Republicans are over here being like, I don't know, like, let's all sit down and on inauguration night and figure out how to make Obama fail. Yeah. Fail? Fail? You yeah. guys already failed the country. What are you doing? But that's what they did. And the, their obsession, we're going to make him one-term president, all this other stuff, not caring about the country at all. That was a decision. That was an off-ramp. You could have off-ramped right there, but you didn't. Then we've got uh, Trump. And, you know, the, the answer was do not let Trump take over this party. Let yourselves fail and let Hillary Clinton be president rather than let Donald Trump run the fucking party and then the fucking country. You had the opportunity to say you had 16 other options. And six, you had literally every other version of the Republican Party. Could have had Jeb. Could have had Jeb. low energy jeb would have been a chiller fire i still can't i still can't get over how trump called the the kentucky derby winner a junkie (laughs) called it a junkie he said it was a junkie that represented everything that's wrong with america i thought the republicans are mad about the we talked all about it yeah it's very confusing that's where i got it from yeah he apparently didn't did not get this line but before we wrap up i mean will this weaken the republican party will this materialize into nothing or do we think this has like a real possibility to be beneficial for democrats in an electoral sense it remains to be seen it remains to be seen i think it's not we're not done yet there's so many factors that can it, it hasn't happened yet like it's it's i don't know it could go either way, but I think that like, yes, it's going to decrease their numbers, but it might not decrease their power because they're so crazy um, and because they'll stop at nothing to suppress the vote. And like, what if you have a health problem with one of the senators, a Democratic <laughs> senator? Like there's so many fat there's there's too yeah. many X factors, to be honest, that. Yeah, yeah, the two party system is so entrenched now that to nobody has an interest in and messing with it that much. Yeah. I just don't see where the funding comes from. I don't see where the candidates come from. I don't see where the votes come from. There's zero reason for me as a Democrat, for any Democrat and any Democratic voter to ever support a Republican. The the party went off the rails ages ago. And now they're like, oh, well, we don't believe in literally destroying democracy. So vote for us. And I'm like, why am I going to do that when it's packaged with terrible policy? Why? Right. Who, who's interested in this? No one. It's a it's a bunch of like a handful of millionaires and billionaires 
we're sitting around being like, why can't we all just get along? And I am disinterested. Yeah, it's always another letter. If I next every other oh. week, it's like a couple a dozen Republican officials pen Signed a letter. A letter. <laughs> right. yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, bring your letter back to 1950. Yeah, yeah. I'm, the whole thing makes me tired and I'm just tired and I'm just here being like, okay, we, you know, destroy the Republican Party. Like we, yeah. we continue doing this thing. <laughs> I know that I, I say it on Twitter every week, but it's true. It's just going to continue doing what it does and you, you can't stop it. And Liz Cheney is, is a speed bump, you know, like yes, she's not going to she do anything. So, you know. Once we get to the place where we understand they're a confederacy and it's going to need to go down, we'll do it. But that's it can all be done electorally. But yeah, no, destroy the problem party. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I'm glad we, we came to a good, a good solution there. <laughs> that was a nice yeah. conclusive moment. That is our show. Eid Mubarak, if you celebrate, thank you to everyone for their nice feedback. And if you sent emotional feedback, I hope that you are feeling okay today. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betcha Sup Podcast. The Betcha Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at betches.com. Betches.